Matthew chapter number 7 this morning. And uh, we find ourselves in the Sermon on the Mount, or that's what it's normally called. Matthew's chapter 5 and 6 and 7. But this morning I want to focus just on three verses. We're going to read a few more than that. But I'd like to begin reading in verse number 13. And you read along with me. Matthew chapter 7 verse 13 says, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Look with me at verse 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. He that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. Probably one of the saddest verses in the Word of God. Verse 23 says, Then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Let's pray together this morning. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would uh, give impact to the words that are spoken today. Father, that you give me the unction and power of the Holy Ghost to preach, Lord, in sincerity and in passion. Father, that those that are gathered under the sound of my voice would be given the unction to hear and to receive. Father, that you would bring into our minds the seriousness of the verses that are set before us. Father, give us wisdom as we rightly divide the word of truth. And help us, God, to leave this place with a fresh burden for souls. Lord, I love you. I don't love you like you love me. Father, I long for the day when I will. But God, I just pray you'd teach us all to love you more. Father, we ask all this in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Matthew chapter number 7, well actually chapters 5, 6, and 7 are commonly known as the Sermon on the Mount. You'll find this to be a uh, something of a goldmine for many people to uh, misshape and misdirect and misrepresent Bible Christianity. You'll find people taking and plucking verses out of context and trying to make them mean things that they do not mean. Uh, in fact, not very long before this, our Lord had said, Judge not that ye be not judged. And I say many of you have heard someone say that. Well, I just don't judge me and I won't judge you. And you say, well, how, what do I say to them when they say that, preacher? Uh, you say, where's that found in the Bible? <laughs> because most of them couldn't give you a chapter and verse 4. And you say, well, preacher, are you saying that we ought to judge things and be judgmental? Well, the Bible says that the, the spiritual man judgeth all things, 
And that verse is simply saying that there is a standard by which we shall be judged. So if we're going to judge people, we better judge them biblically. Because the Bible's the standard we're going to be judged at. And you'll find many other verses taken out of context and ideas and truths that are given. But here, chapters 21, or verses 21, 22, and 23 present to us probably one of the most profoundly uh, effective and impacting uh, ensembles of verses in the entire Word of God. Can I be honest with you this morning when I say that it terrifies me to read these verses? It shakes me to my very core to understand that these verses are true, and I know they're true because they're in the Word of God. To believe that there are some that will leave this world believing they are going to heaven, but wind up in hell, is a terrifying truth to me. To know that there are some that are sincere, but are lost, is a heartbreaking thought. To know that there are some who we would label Christians that God would not. Probably some we would not that God would too. It is a frightening idea. But if we are to preach the whole counsel of God and warn men of a coming of judgment, then it behooves us to look upon these verses and to examine them. They've been preached, I believe, many times out of context. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time dealing with dispensational thoughts this morning. But I just want us to divvy these three verses up in their verse distinctions. And I want us to look at what's said in this passage. The Bible denotes that there will be a day of judgment. I want you to notice what he says there. Uh, Look in verse number 22. He says, many will say to me in that day. That verse or that day is spoke oft of in Scripture. That day in which we'll stand before God and give an account for the things that we've done. It's not a thought that is fond in the hearts of humanity. I'm going to be honest with you today. I believe that the the drive in atheistic thinking is an attempt to flee from the accountability that a creature has to his creator. I believe people like to believe there's no God because they don't want to believe they're going to give an account. Can I tell you something, friend? Like it or not, believe it or not, accept it or not, look for it or not, there's coming a day when we will give an account. I mean, I know people say, well, I don't believe that. Well, it ain't, it ain't in your hands. Nobody ever said you had the power to decide that. <laughs> That's strictly within the realm of an almighty God. And He says that that day is coming in which we will give an account. I believe in two resurrections. I believe in two judgments. The Bible teaches two resurrections. The Bible teaches two judgments. Anybody that believes in a general resurrection is wrong. They're wrong. They may be good people. They may love the Lord, may love you, may give you a shirt off their back. For some of us, that's a good thing. For some of us, it's not. Amen. <laughs> Depends on what we look like, I guess. But, but like it or not, they're wrong. Because the Bible teaches two resurrections. A resurrection unto life and a resurrection unto death. A resurrection of those that are saved and a resurrection of those that are lost. And likewise, the Bible teaches two judgments. A resurrection that will lead unto the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. This is the resurrection and the judgment of those that are saved. You'll be judged at the judgment seat of Christ as a servant. 
You'll be judged for the things that you've done and the opportunities you've missed and the opportunities you have taken. Paul spoke of that when he said, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. He said, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. But there's another judgment that's spoken of. I believe that's the judgment that we're seeing in these verses. Uh, In Revelation chapter 20, you don't have to turn there. You're welcome to if you'd like, if you just want to see it. But in Revelation chapter number 20, uh, the second resurrection is spoken of in the second judgment. The second resurrection is a resurrection of those that are lost and undone without Christ. And they'll be raised up that they might stand at what the Bible calls the great white throne judgment. The Bible says, Him that sat upon the throne, that heaven and earth fled away from His face. There's no hiding place on that judgment day. All will be there. You say, preacher, I'm saved. Will I be there? Yeah, you'll be there. You won't be being judged, but you'll be there. I'll be there. You say, how do you know that? Well, where else are you going to be if heaven and earth have fled away? The only place to be is to be there. And on that day, the Bible says that the books will be opened. And the Lamb's book of life will be opened. And there is a record of every name, of every person that has been born again by the blood of the slain Lamb, the Son of God, the perfect Lamb, Jesus Christ. Every name. I know my name is there. We sang about it a moment ago. My name is in the book of life. Oh, bless the name of Jesus. I rise above all doubt and strife. And I read my title clear. I know that my name is written there. The people were examining these verses. They didn't know their name was written there because their name was not written there. They may have believed their name was written there. They may have believed that they were saved. But uh, belief and actuality are not always the same. Do you know that? That's why we do not idolize and and deify faith as an element. We live in a world that has uplifted the notion of faith. And I believe in faith. I believe faith is an important thing. But they'll say, well, that person is a person of faith. And it's enough in this world that we live in that a person has strong convictions. But neighbor, you can believe all you want. But if you don't believe the right thing, it's not going to help you a bit. You say, preacher, who are you to decide what the right thing is? I'm nobody to decide. Let me tell you something. Almighty God put it down in the Word of God and preserved it for you and I so that we can have the truth of the Word of God. It's not enough to have faith. You must place your faith in Jesus Christ, the risen Savior. And so these are the groups of people we're looking at. And this is the scene that is before us. The great white throne judgment. God upon His throne. Heaven and earth have fled away. You say, what does that mean, preacher? I believe that's the time when uh, this world is going to be consumed by fire. The Bible says that the elements shall melt with fervent heat. And I believe that's what takes place. uh, Because in chapter 21 of the book of Revelation, the first thing we see is a new heaven and a new earth. uh, For the old heaven and the old earth are passed through. I believe that's what's been taking place. This is the scene before us. God is upon His throne. The sinners are standing before Him. And one by one they are judged out of the books that are set before them. The Bible says there will be some there, I'm sure, that day that knew they were going to be there. But the thing that terrifies me is there's going to be people there that didn't know they was going to be there. There's going to be people that are sincere. You say, well, preacher, what, you know, I've heard this a lot. I've heard people say, well, you know, faith is just a matter of raising. And, you know, you believe that way because you was raised that way. No, I wasn't born saved. I had to be born again to be saved. I may have been born Baptist, but I wasn't born saved. 
I may have been born uh, in, in an old-timey church, but I wasn't born saved, and none of those things made me saved. And people say, well, you know, preacher, it's just it's a, matter of, uh, it's a matter of raising. And, you know, the Muslims, they're sincere. Sure they are. Sure they are. The atheists are sincere. The Roman Catholics are sincere. The Jehovah's Witnesses are sincere. The Mormons are sincere. Neighbor, a lot of them are more sincere than you or I or somebody sitting on a Baptist pew. But sincerity does not negate wrongness. Just because a person's sincere, that doesn't mean that they're right. doesn't mean that they're right. The Bible says there's going to be sincere people at this judgment. People that really believe they were on their way to heaven. People that pillowed their head in death with a sure hope that they would wake up in heaven. But the Bible says that our Lord said, depart from me. There's probably Baptist church members on this day. <laughs> in fact, might be more of them than anybody else. I don't know. I'm sure there's Sunday school teachers present on this day. Deacons and pastors and evangelists, missionaries on this day that cry out and they say, Lord, Lord. You know, there's a difference. There's a difference between saying it and meaning it. I know the Bible says no man can call uh, Jesus Christ Lord except by the Spirit of God. That means no man can mean it sincerely. No man can really make Him Lord of their life except by the Holy Spirit of God. It's not sheer determination of will. It's submission to the Holy Spirit that gives Christ the government of your life. I want us to look at a few thoughts. And I I don't know what kind of sermon this will be today. I don't expect anybody to do a backflip, but... I want us to look at these, and let's just divvy them up. And I want to say in verse 21, we see a terrifying truth. Look at it with me. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. This tells me three things, and I want you to listen carefully. You're not going to find them immediately in the text, but they're implied here. I want you to listen carefully. That tells me that there is such a thing as profession without possession. There's such a thing as saying you're saved and not really being saved. Do you know that uh, if you walk up and down the streets of Wall Ridge Road or Wall Oaks or Wall Rock or Pleasant Ridge or Merchants Drive or all across the country, you're going to find that everyone is saved. It's amazing that we're not having just widespread revival right now because everybody is saved. And you'll talk to people and you'll say, well, uh, if you died right now, do you know that you'd go to heaven? And they'll say, yeah, I know. And you'll say, well, how do you know that? And they'll say, thank you, I've given you enough time. Or they'll say, well, I go to such and such church. I always like it when they tell me a church that I know. <laughs> because I'll say, who's the pastor down there? And they'll say, uh, 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 uh. <laughs> Most of them haven't darkened doorstep of church in 20, 30, 40 years. And yet they still sit there and they'll say with all sincerity, I know that I'm going to heaven. It's not enough to know if you don't know based on the right thing. Just because you have a deep conviction that you're saved, if you've never given your heart to Jesus Christ, you've never been saved. There's lots of people say that they're saved. And part of the thing I believe that confuses sinners so vastly is that every religion claims that it's right. It's always been that way. Always been that way. It is a silly, silly uh, uh, idea and philosophy that all religions can be right. That's foolishness. That's foolishness. Because what my Bible says tells me that what other religions believe is wrong. And by the way, the Koran says the same thing. Westerners, infidels, Jews, 
Uh, the Quran teaches that they are, are infidels and pagans, that they are estranged from Allah, and teaches that they ought to be subverted through the sword. That's what the Quran teaches. You say, I don't believe that. They don't say that on the news. No, they won't say it on the news. But pick you up a copy of the Quran and read it. Read it. You say, ain't you afraid of telling people to do that? No, I'm not. No more than I'd be afraid of telling them to pick up a copy of Mother Goose. It's not real. It's not reality. And it don't take much to read the Quran and find out that it's a bloody book. It seeks to subvert the world through the edge of the sword. Quran's always been that way. Islam's always been that way. And you say, well, preacher, that's just radical Islam. No, that, that's fundamental Islam. You see, we are fundamental Christians. I mean, we ought to be. Meaning that we believe in the fundamentals of the faith. Meaning that we believe in the strict interpretation of the Word of God. Do you know when I believe in the strict interpretation of the Word of God, that teaches me to love others as Christ loves them. That teaches me to hate sin but love the sinner. That teaches me to see people as lost and undone and not in need uh, of my convictions and not in need of my opinions, but in need of my Savior. That's what my Bible teaches me when I rightly divide the Word of Truth. If you rightly divide the Koran, it's going to cause you to be what the media would term a radical Muslim. It's possible to profess Christianity and not possess it. It's possible to say that you're saved, to believe that you're saved, and not be saved. There's a lot of people in this world. Now you say, preacher, you're trying to scare me into doubting. No, I'm trying to shake you with the realization that you may have loved ones that say they're saved. You may have neighbors that say that they're saved. You may have church family that says that they're saved. But in the stark reality of it, they may profess it, but they don't possess the Spirit of God. They don't know Christ. They know how to talk the talk. I mean, it's gotten to the point when you witness people, you almost have to trick them just, just getting on and answer. I mean, it's sad to say that, but that's the truth. used to be if you asked someone, are you saved, they'd be honest with you. You know what I mean? They'd tell you, if they wasn't saved, they'd say, no, I'm not saved. If they was drunk, they'd say, no, I'm not saved. If they, if they was an adulterer, they'd say, no, I, I'm not saved. I, I'm not saved. Now you can't do that. You say, are you saved? And everybody knows, say automatically, yes. That'll get them off my porch, you know. And so that's what they say. Now you have to ask them weird questions, you know. You have to, you have to ask, are you, are you uh, part of the bride? Or you have to ask them, you know, are you indwelt with the Spirit? Or you have to ask them just to find out if they're being honest. Because society has so learned how to talk the talk. We live in a day where there's such thing as profession without possession. It's always been thus. But let me say that there is such thing as service without salvation. Not only are there people that say that they're saved that aren't saved, there's people that are in the work of the Lord that have never met Him. There's people that teach Sunday schools, that work in churches, people that give regularly. I'm talking about people that you look at and say, that's a pillar, that's a pillar of a church. But in the stark reality of it, they have nothing but a work salvation. You may believe differently than me, and that's okay. But I don't believe that any mixture of works and grace can ever constitute the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I believe if a man believes that his works are going to get him to heaven, I believe that that automatically tells me that he's not trusting Christ entirely to get him to heaven. Now, you can argue and you may believe differently and you're entitled to that and I'll still love you and I hope you'll still love me. But the Bible says if it's of grace, it's no more of works. And if it's of works, then it's no more of grace. There's a lot of people. I talked to someone not too long ago and uh, I, had the, I, was, I was standing there. There was another lady standing there and, and uh, we were talking to this other lady and, and uh, the lady that was standing there said, uh, have you ever been saved? And she said, oh, well, I volunteer a lot. Well, what does that mean? 
That means she's saying, I believe I'm saved because I work. That's what that means. If you ask people, someone believes that they can lose their salvation through their own sin, they're implying that their righteousness can keep their salvation. They're implying that they believe in a work salvation. If you ask someone, have you ever been saved? They say, well, I'm a church member. Well, I don't mean nothing. Plenty of people that are saved that aren't church members. Plenty of people that are church members that ain't saved. Just because you're a part of a church. Hey, that's part of the reason. Listen carefully. That's part of the reason that I, that I reject the notion of closed communion. We're all right in here this morning, ain't we? That's part of the reason I reject that. Because the fact of the matter is, the pastor, nor the church members, nor anybody knows even if their people are really saved or not. You don't know about anybody but you. I don't know about anybody but me, friend. There's lots of people that fool you. And lots of people would fool me. You don't really know. No way of knowing. No, no possible way of knowing. The Bible says that there's such thing as service without salvation. But can I say that there is such thing as form without faith? The Bible speaks of some that have a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. The Pharisees were pretty godly. You know that? Pretty godly. In fact, they were so godly that listen to what Christ said about them. Christ said... You're as whited sepulchers, beautiful and washed on the outside. That was a testimony of our Savior. He said concerning the outward righteousness of the Pharisees that they were beautiful and washed on the outside. I mean, these were men, and Paul would have identified with this because he said, uh, uh, touching righteousness concerning the law, I was blameless. Paul said, man, I mean, I kept every feast. I, I, I would walk out into the streets. I would wear the phylacteries. I would have the boxes on my head and on my hand. I would have the prayer shawl. I would have the hem around my garment. I would have all these things. I had the form. I had the function. I knew about the sacrifices. I knew how to perform them. I knew what they meant. I knew the history of the nation of Israel. I knew the rabbinical writings in the Talmud. He said, I knew all these things. He said, but I count them but dung that I may win Christ. He said, I had all this and it meant nothing. It meant nothing. He said, I give it all up that I might come know to the Savior. A lot changes when you get knocked off that horse. A lot changes when you get knocked off that horse and shown for what you really are. Shown that though you may have outward righteousness, your heart is as black as the charred walls of a devil's hell. Shown that though you may look good, though you may dress right, though you may act right, though you may talk right, though you may smell right, that doesn't mean a thing in the eyes of an almighty God that you're naked before Him, that He sees what you truly are. And listen, just because you got a form of it doesn't mean that you put your faith in the Savior. There's a lot of people that think Christianity is a lifestyle. No, Christianity is a lifestyle. It's a life change. It's not just saying, well, I'm going to begin to adopt these principles. That's what a lot of people miss. A lot of people see Christianity as a denominational choice rather than an absolute change of who they are thanks to the power of Jesus Christ and the Holy Ghost. There's going to be a lot of people. The Bible says from such turn away. Those people that are Pharisees, get away from them. That's what the Bible says. But Paul was writing to Timothy and he's talking about the church. He said those Pharisees that think their righteousness is vested in their outward representation rather than the inward work of the Holy Ghost in their life. He said, you better get away from them. They'll ruin you. They'll corrupt you. Never have we lived in a day where there's almost nothing but reprobates and Pharisees. But that's the day that we live in. The Bible says we would get to this place. This is a terrifying truth to me. It is terrifying to me to believe that there are some people that say that they're saved, that serve in the church, that have a form of godliness, 
but never have met the Savior. What a terrifying thought. We see a terrifying truth, but I want you to notice what's said. The Savior uh, looks upon these people in that judgment day. In verse 22, our Lord says, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. We see in verse 21 a terrifying truth, but in verse 22 we see a pathetic plea. This is what they say in response. When they find out that their righteousness was insufficient. And you'll notice in verse 22, they still can't break out of the mold of a work's salvation. Mine can't comprehend anything but it, it seems. And by the way, as long as you think you're righteous, you'll never get away from a work's salvation. You know when God does away with the notion of our works being something in His eyes? When we realize that they're nothing. That's why Christ, uh, that's why Paul said uh, that I count them but dung. Until he counted them but dung, he could not put his faith in Christ. Until he saw that his works meant nothing to God in the light of his sin, he could not win Jesus Christ. He had to be annihilated, his self did. His, his flesh, his dependence upon his religious uh, affiliation had to be annihilated. He had to be knocked off that horse and made to see and blinded before he could ever see. What is their plea? I want you to notice three things they talk about. First off, they talk about their stand that they took. He says, we have prophesied in thy name. I want you to notice first off the way that they use the phrase thy name over all three times. Thy name, thy name, thy name, thy name. Over and over and over again, they keep speaking of thy name. Do you know what happened? They began to see Christianity as a matter of principles and ideals taught in the name of someone rather than a life-changing transition and transformation affected by the power of someone. They began to attribute it much the same way that people do things in the name of liberty, in the name of freedom, in the name of this, in the name of that. That's how they affected these things. They had no faith in a risen Savior. They saw salvation as the adopting of principles rather than the accepting of a person. And the first thing that they say is, Lord, we took a stand in Your name. We prophesied. We made public to others. Our stand. We live in a Facebook world. Do you know that? <laughs> I'll be glad. I mean, we use it, and I use it, and I check it more than I ought to. And we got church Facebook, camp Facebook. I think it's a good thing. I'm not. I'm not against technology. I'm not against these things. But I, I'll be a little bit glad when it's over with. Won't you be? <laughs> There'll come a day when it's going to go the way everything else and we're going to have something else. And I, I, Maybe I'm just getting bored with it, but I kind of look for that day. Uh, some, of you, some of you, now this is preaching right here. Some of you need to learn that Facebook is not Pinterest. You hear me? I don't mean nothing to some of you. Some of you don't know what that means, but the ones that know what it means, let it convict you, neighbor. Facebook is for statuses and pictures of your family, okay? Oh, I'm picking at you, but we, we do. We live in a Facebook world. And you'll find it's the easiest thing in the world to be a Christian on Facebook. You just got to click share or click like. And I'm not against that. Listen, I'm not, don't, don't, don't mark me now. I'm not against that. But I'm saying this. Listen carefully. A lot of people think that because they identify with the name of Christ, that they know Christ. 
There's a lot of people that think, well, I go to a Christian church or a Baptist church, so that's sufficient. You know, that's what they were saying. So we've prophesied in thy name. We've told others about you. We've talked about you. We've made it clear that we stand for you. Do you know you can take all the stands you want? That doesn't mean that you're saved. We're going to see in a moment what, what it really hinges on. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, all right? Just so I can be, you'll be ready to hear the preaching in a minute when I get to it. He said, I never knew you. It's about relationship, friend. If you ain't got a relationship, you don't know him. I mean, I mean, that's key. If you're going to know someone, you've got a relationship with them. Is that right? In fact, when somebody says, do you know so-and-so? And you say, yeah, I know so-and-so. What you're really saying is I've got a relationship with them. It may be an extensive relationship. It may be an acquaintanceship relationship. But whatever it is, you're saying, I know them and they know me. These people were taking a stand and they spoke of the stand they were taking. We proclaimed, we told people we were Christians. Don't you notice, secondly, they speak not only of their uh, stand, but of their sympathy. Cast out devils in thy name. They said, we've cared for others and made an impact on others. Uh, Let let me make this, I'll, I'll do my best to make this clear to you. The Word of God has power. A power that is intrinsic to it. A power that is not dependent upon you or me. And the Lord is able to use His Word. Now, don't misunderstand me. Uh, the Lord is, is most effectively able to use a saved, born-again, blood-washed believer who's a clean vessel and yielded unto an Almighty God and that's willing to follow Him and serve Him and be bold for Him. Uh, that's the most effective way in which uh, God can make an impact in this world. But the Word of God has an intrinsic power to it. I, I mean, somebody that's, that's lost as the devil himself If they give the Word of God enough, the Word of God can do its work. And you know what these people say? They say, we've made an impact on others. We've we've helped others. A lot of people think they're going to heaven because of the tithe check they write. A lot of people think they're going to heaven because of the time they invest in working and serving. A lot of people think they're going to heaven because they care about others around them. Listen, you ought to care. You ought to love one another. You ought to bear one another's burdens. You ought to do that. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but I'm saying this. Just because you've got a heart as big as the world, it can still be as black as hell. And it doesn't mean anything if you care for others if you don't know the Savior. There's people that have lived their whole life in the service of others that are going to die and split hell wide open. I mean, you go out to Hollywood, you won't find a bigger, uh, a bigger giving culture than the Hollywood culture. Now, maybe not to the local independent Baptist church, I get that, but you won't find people that give more than the people out in Hollywood. They'll give to anything. They'll have fundraisers. They'll, they'll, uh, they'll go to a fundraiser. Let me tell you something. If it ain't manna, if it ain't manna, I'm not going to pay more than $100 a plate for anything. I mean, I don't care if you're dying and the only thing that will save you is, is, is ground up $100 bills shot straight into your arm. If it, is, if it is more than $100 and it's not manna, you're going to find somebody else, okay? I'd give you my arm before I'd pay more than that. But they'll go out there and they'll have these dinners, man, $1,000, $2,000, $5,000, $10,000 plate. The president, by the way, the, uh, Bush did it and Obama does it too, but they'll, they'll go to a fundraiser and, they'll, man, it'll be $10,000 a plate. Man, that's, man that's, that's good margins, isn't it, right there? How much can a piece of chicken cost? But, uh, you know, they'll do these things. They're a given culture, but let me tell you something. You'll not find a, a, a bigger cesspool of sin than the Hollywood culture. 
in the Hollywood culture. I was seeing just the other day, and, and I, this ain't got anything to do with the message, but I hope it scares you, that the American Psychiatric Association, so these are the people that decide what are diseases and this and that, have redefined certain forms of pedophilia as no longer being a mental disorder. Let me say that again. Let that sink in. The American Psychiatric Association is now redefining pedophilia to no longer be a mental disorder. Did we not say it won't be long? It won't be long. We say it couldn't happen to us. It happened to Greece. It happened to Rome. It's happened to other cultures, friend. It could happen to America. We don't like to believe it, but it could happen to America. They said, we've had sympathy. We've cared for others. And they spoke of their service. You know what they said? They said, we've done many wonderful works in thy name. We've worked, we've worked, we've worked, we've worked. What a shame to do all that work. <laughs> what a shame to do all that work and die and find out it meant nothing. What a shame. Listen, if you're here today and you're serving God, but you don't know the Savior, what a shame would it be to spend your whole life toiling for the Savior and not knowing Him. One day fall on your knees and Calvary, listen, Calvary's going to wipe away your self-righteousness just like it will your sinfulness. And it means nothing. We see a pathetic plea. And I just want one more thing. Listen carefully. We see not only a terrifying truth and a pathetic plea, but we see a sorrowful sentence. Look what the Savior says. A word of declaration. Look at verse 23. And then will I profess unto them. You know, it matters a lot more what God thinks than what you or I think. I know we live in a society where people say, well, my faith works for me. Is it working for God? Well, my faith satisfies me. Does it satisfy God? The reason people say that is they don't really believe in God. They believe in faith, but they don't believe in God. Look what he says. I never knew you. Listen, listen. if you've not listened to anything, listen to this. It's what it really hinges on. I don't care what you've got. If you've not got a relationship with Jesus Christ, you've never been saved. I don't know how to say it much more definitively than that. You say, well, preacher, I, my relationship ain't, ain't that good. That's not what I said. If you have no relationship with Christ, if you've never... Listen, if you don't pray to Him... I don't pray as much as I ought to. Can I be honest with you? I don't pray as much as I ought to. I doubt you do either. Probably don't none of us pray like we ought to. I'm not talking about that. I'm saying if you have never met the Savior, there's never been a time when as a sinner you broke yourself before God or allowed Him to break you. You called on God to forgive you by the work of Christ and to save you. If that's never happened, it doesn't matter what you've got. You've not got Christ. And he that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son hath not life. He said, I never knew you. People say, well, I know God. Well, does He know you? Does He know you? I'm thankful. Hey, it, it don't mean a lot for me to know Him. I know a lot of people, but do they know me? It, it, it may be one thing. I, I might say I know somebody and not have a relationship there if they don't know me. But if I know them and if they know me, and if when they call my name, I know their voice. And when I call their name, they know my voice. They know how to hear and they know how to listen. And they know how to answer and they know my name. That's a relationship. That's a relationship. We see a word of declaration, but we see a word of damnation. Depart from me. Depart from me. Ever since man fell into sin, God has been giving an invitation. But there'll come a day when there'll be no more invitations.
There'll come a day when those within hell will ring and sound the walls of the damned with cries for repentance. They would not repent now. There'll come a time when there's no no room for repentance. Though it be sought with sorrowful tears, there'll be no room for repentance. The Lord said, depart from me. They could have plead another 2,000 years. Wouldn't have made a difference. He said, I never knew you. He didn't say, I knew you and forgot you, by the way. He didn't say, I knew you and forgot you. He didn't say, I knew you and then you sinned and I forgot you. He said, I never knew you. We see a word of definition. He says, you that work iniquity. Let me tell you something. I, 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 don't, I don't believe in what some people call lordship salvation. When some people say a lordship salvation, what they mean is that when you get saved, you ain't never going to do anything bad again. Not in a big way, because if you do something bad in a big way, that means you was never saved. That's foolishness. You won't find that. You won't find that on any page of that King James Bible. Not one place. You might find it in some perversion, but you ain't going to find it in the holy inspired Word of God. You ain't going to find that anywhere. The Bible says that people can get so backslid they even forget that they were ever washed from their old sins. I don't believe in lordship salvation, but let me tell you something. I believe He is Lord. I believe when He saves you, He changes you. That's the whole thrust of what we're talking about. By their fruits you shall know them. It makes a difference when a person gets saved. I wonder, has Christ made a difference in your life? Now, I'm going I'm to do this a little bit different, and we're, we're just about done. We're going to close. But listen, a lot of times I ask these questions beforehand, but I want you looking at me while I ask these questions. There may be some of you here right now that are struggling with your salvation. There was a time, you remember a time when you accepted Christ, and, but you've had some ups and you've had some downs, and you're not sure if you're saved. Listen, if that's you, we'll, I, we'd love to pray with you and take a Bible and give you the assurance of the Word of God. Not the assurance of a Baptist preacher, but the assurance of the Word of God on the matter. We're happy to do that. We're happy. That's not really the design of what this service is for. We don't want to make people doubt their salvation. But if you want assurance, if you want somebody to pray with you, we're happy to do that. But if you're here today and you say, Preacher, there's never been time when I've really been born again. I know that I'm not saved, but I want to be. There's nothing worth leaving this place without knowing Christ. Neighbor, I don't care if there's a million dollars sitting out there and the first one out the door got it. It wouldn't be worth walking out of these double doors. You can be saved today. Can I say that again? You can be saved today. Somebody testify that. You can be saved today. They'll save you. You don't have to wonder anymore.